land dispute between shepherds, a regional military campaign, and a rescue operation. Buckle up, war is coming to the land of Canaan. On The Bible Brief. Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. And I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Abram is back from Egypt. After being enriched by Pharaoh before being deported by the same Pharaoh, he's back in the land of Canaan. Having survived the famine in Egypt, he's back in the land that God had promised him. Abram is full of promises from God, full of wealth from his time in Egypt, and yet he's empty of children. The one thing explicitly required for God's promises to come to pass. Abram needs a son. But before he gains that promised son, he's going to see lots of conflict in his life. And the first conflict that we see once he's back in the land is conflict with his own nephew. The nephew who'd been with him in all his travels so far. The nephew named Lot. We read this. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. He journeyed on from the Negev in the south, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. So this first conflict starts with the herdsmen, and eventually finds its way to the two leaders, Abram and Lot. The land that they're living on, almost assuredly not particularly good land since the Canaanites were on the best of the land of Canaan, the land that they are on can't support the vast wealth of both men. The flocks, herds, and tents were too much for their spot within the land. So Abram, the elder, and the patriarch in the relationship, proposes a solution to Lot. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Despite being in the position of authority, Abram decides to allow Lot a choice in where he lives. And Abram says that he'll take the leftover spot. And while certainly a magnanimous offer by Abram, we see something remarkable in Abram that we can't miss here. Abram believes God's promise and understands that it doesn't depend on him to accomplish it. Lot could have chosen the land of Canaan and Abram would have apparently been fine with that. Abram knew that God would give him the land eventually, no matter what Lot chose in that moment. But as it turns out, Lot thought that the land around the Jordan River Valley looked the best. So good, he even compares it in his mind to the garden of the Lord. He thought that it was so lush that it was like the Garden of Eden. 
And yet we see a note about Lot's choice here that we should be attuned to at this point. It says that Lot journeyed east. This is a clue for us that Lot's choice isn't the best. Remember, a theme so far in Genesis is that east is viewed as away from God's presence. And as if to underline that, we read this. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley, and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Lot's choice to go towards the valley and toward the city of Sodom are going to have continued ramifications for Lot and Abram. After that final remark about their chosen locations, we read what we started this episode with, a reiteration of God's promise to Abram, expressing again the promise of future offspring to childless Abram. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. And I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Did you catch what Abram did in response? He built another altar to the Lord. Abram is building altars all over the place, both in worship of God and as a tangible reminder of the promises of God to Abram. He might not have any children yet, but God promised. Okay, now after Abram is all settled in Hebron and he's built his altar, the narrative shifts to the larger geopolitical world that comes to impact Abram and demonstrate God's protection and provision for Abram. Let's keep reading, starting in Genesis chapter 14. A war has commenced. In the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elisar, Cater-Laomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goyim, these kings made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemeber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. And all these joined forces in the valley of Siddim, that is the Salt Sea. Okay, so we have four kings at war against five kings, and they are in the valley of Siddim by the Salt Sea, which is what we'd call the Dead Sea now. And I just want you to note a few things about the description of these kings. First, the first king mentioned is the king of Shinar. This is the same area where the Tower of Babel had been, so this is hundreds of miles east of the land of Canaan. Understanding that can help us understand the scale of the conflict was not simply limited to the little nations around Canaan. This was a regional campaign waged by the four kings. Second, we won't read this portion, but the reason for this war is due to the cities of the valley and the surrounding areas not paying tribute to one of the four kings. The campaign, then, is to conquer the cities and loot them. Finally, the third thing to notice is this. One of the five kings on the defense here is the king of Sodom, the place where Lot lived and the place already described as wicked. This isn't a war between the bad kings and the good kings. The Bible doesn't hold up either side as having any sort of moral superiority over the other. This is one of the surely countless territorial and dominance battles that characterize the ancient world. A world divided after Babel, with everyone fighting to win among the other nations, tribes, and city-states. Okay, 
So the military campaign by the four kings swings to the southern part of the land of Canaan, before we see the ultimate clash in the Valley of Siddim by the Dead Sea. It's here, at the Valley of Siddim, that we see the final decisive battle in the war. This area is near the homes of the five kings of the cities of the valley, and so they are fighting essentially for house and home. The clash, however, ends in defeat for the five kings. The invaders, led by the four kings, sweep through the valley, just as they had the southern territory. The five kings of the valley suffer an embarrassing defeat, and their cities are quickly looted of treasure and of population. However, what the four victorious kings don't know is that among their cargo is something, or rather someone, who is particularly precious to Abram. We read this. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah, and all their provisions and went away. They also took Lot, Abram's nephew, who was dwelling in Sodom, and his possessions, and went their way. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living at Hebron. When Abram heard that his kinsman Lot had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan, in the north of the land of Canaan. Abram is in hot pursuit to save his nephew. He's brought men to fight with him, and somehow he's going to take on this army of the four kings. Will Abram be successful where the five kings had failed? How will he and his measly 318 men beat a hardened group of soldiers? Join us next time as we see a decisive battle and meet a tenth king who's the best king of them all. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. 